0: Hey, we've talked about having some uh, really cool guests on the Greg McAfee Show, and today is the day we're going to have Ken Goodrich, and he's going to share his story and some of his business insights of what it takes to be successful in business. So if you don't know, Ken began his HVAC career as a 10-year-old boy holding the flashlight for his dad servicing Gettle air conditioners. Fast forward, Ken is now the chairman of the board of Gettle air conditioning and plumbing. All Gettle aside, Ken has acquired, integrated, and developed more than 40 businesses in his lifetime. He's considered home service industry icon, who I call the titan of our industry. He's helped so many people succeed and he's also part of the best-selling book where co-authored with Michael E. Gerber, the e-myth for HVAC contractor. Let's now hear from Ken Goodrich. Hey, this is Greg McAfee and welcome to The Greg McAfee Show. Now let's get started. So today we want to welcome Ken Goodrich. I've already told you a little bit about him and uh, I've got some questions for him that all of you will be uh, very interested to know more about and just where our uh, HVAC is going. We just talked a little bit about that, but you know, Ken, a lot of times people ask me, uh, did you know you were going to be this successful or did you know this was going to happen and did you know you were going to own this and all that kind of stuff? And uh you know you're a hundred times uh, bigger than we are, and uh, I just have to ask you if, uh, if you don't know, folks who are listening, Ken used to carry a flashlight for his dad when his dad owned a heating and air conditioning company. And Ken, when you were carrying that flashlight, I mean, did you have any
1: idea uh, what the future held for you? Well, certainly not then. You know, I mean, I was I was enslaved in the family business, and you know, I'm out here in Las Vegas where. Uh, I'm sure every market has their weather nuances, but I'm in Las Vegas where most of the air conditioners at that time were on the roof and, you know, we were working on the roof all day, every day in the summertime. And, uh, you know, with, you know, 110, 115 degrees beating down on you. So no, I was always thinking about when can I get out of this really at that age. And then I went to, you know, I, I, I really set the goal to get out of the air conditioning business and I went to college. And so, uh, I studied finance and when they started to get to the point where you're, uh, going to talking to recruiters, um, I'm getting job offers and they're giving me job offers. You know, I think at the time it was something ridiculous, maybe $25,000 a year to start. And this was in the early eighties. Uh, maybe 30000 uh, and I said, I'm making 60000 a year part-time side job in air conditioning. So um, I decided at that point that I wasn't going to go the finance route and um, I'm going to buckle down and start my own HVAC business and be an entrepreneur because I knew that well. I knew how to make money at it. I had some new tools from school, and I thought I'd go at it that way. So no, I guess to, to clean up that question. No, when I first got in it, uh, while it was, it was fun working with my dad, and I learned a lot of stuff. I couldn't wait to get out of it back then.
0: You worked with your dad for about how long?
1: Fifteen years. Uh, you know, I started with, with uh when I was ten years old, um, and then, you know, every night, weekend, and summer since that moment. And then uh, he passed away when I was twenty-five. And, uh, and I bought the family business from my mom, which was me in a van, you know, it was, it was one van and, uh, that dad and I used to ride along with and, and, uh, a three by five, you know, three by five postcards with the customer's names and everything written on them in the last service call in the little box. That's what I got. Sure. So, and and that really wasn't that
0: long ago. I mean, it wasn't a hundred years ago. It was about how long ago when you uh, bought the
1: business. I bought the business in 1987.
0: Yeah. So we're talking, what, 35, 36 years ago. Uh Um, And just to give a snapshot, fast forward, um, Gettle was doing about how much in the last year or so?
1: You know, Gettle's Gettle's uh, three hundred million dollar business uh, in four states, and you know, over a thousand employees now. Um, and there's a whole backstory how I got to Gettle too. But over the course of time, you know, I got I bought the business from my mom, and my dad was never interested in expanding. You know, he didn't like employees. He was an excellent technician, and he took care of his customers. And he was a good salesman. He knew how to keep his prices up. He made money, and and he left it at that. He just didn't want to chase people around. And so, you know, he would always caution me not to have people. But I, I'm thinking, I'm not going to get out in the service truck anymore. I, you know, i got 15 years hard labor in it. Uh, I'm going to go find some techs and lead the company. Well, I started out, just like all of us do, in a van and then start hiring people with really no formal system. Business system, no processes, no understanding on the mathematics of the business, nothing. Just you know, just winging it and thinking, "Hey, I've been doing this for 15 years, I'm going to keep doing it." So I get out pretty quickly, and uh, I had a kind of a knack for sales. So I'd go out and sell some jobs and um, start hiring people and putting people on and buying used trucks and painting them up and making them look pretty and put letters on them and you know all the fun stuff of growing a business and. You know, pretty quickly got up to about 30 employees. And, you know, we were really uh, getting noticed in Las Vegas is where I'm from. And uh, grew pretty fast. And then about a year in, maybe, maybe two years in, I show up at the office and a guy standing out front and he gives me his business card and he's from the IRS. And he says, uh, I'm here to talk about your delinquent payroll taxes. And I said... What's payroll taxes? I mean, I didn't even know. And uh, he quickly showed me what those were by uh, taking all our money out of our bank accounts, my personal bank accounts on uh, bouncing our payrolls, taking a few trucks, all that nonsense, and really set me into a tailspin. So I, you know, most everybody quit except two guys. And so it was me and two guys. I had uh, 4000 bucks in my pocket cash. Nobody would take my checks because we had bounced all these checks because the IRS garnished my accounts. And so I went out every day. I sold a job, paid, paid for the equipment with, with cash. My two guys went and put in. I went and go found another one, and we dug ourselves out of that hole. At the same time, I got this book called The E-Myth. The E-Myth, Why Most Small Businesses Don't Work and What to Do About It. A friend had given it to me. And so I read the book and I'm like, this guy has had to been following me around in the bushes and watching what I'm doing because he knew every stupid thing that I was doing, right? It was right there in the book. And he showed me how to fix it. So I just diligently dedicated myself to pull this company out of the hole. Now, remember, I bought the business from my mom. It was the family business. I was making payments. So I couldn't go back and tell my mom that i crashed the family business inside a year and a half, you know, that, that my dad had run successfully for 20 years, you know, so I just had to gut it out. I had to get through this. Right. And so I I learned everything that I could in the book and I started, uh, making my business plans and, and, uh, taking its direction. I read the book 33 times and then I started appliance principles and I worked my way out of the hole. I got the IRS paid back. I created a business system, I started to grow. And then once I kind of got that done and we were we were flourishing and we were we became the top residential service replacement business in Las Vegas when I was gosh early, maybe 30 years old, early 30s. Um, guys started to come to me that were struggling and uh you know, they didn't know what to do with their business, so I'd buy the business because I became a turnaround expert because I had. You know, screwed my own business up so bad, and figured out how to get out of it. So I started buying these broken companies or guys retiring, and and put them into my business. And I built a pretty sizable business back then. And you know, just kind of pulled myself out of the muck that I had created for myself. And then that's when the consolidation was coming along, mid '90s, right? You know, ARS and GroupBack and right all those companies um and so i sold the company to ars and which was my plan you know my plan was i'm going to build a company you know i didn't want to i didn't want to go the finance route so i'm going to build this company sell it make some capital and then sit back and see what i really want to do in life you know you know what they say follow your passion right right so i get I do that, and I execute my plan. I had planned to sell the business for one million dollars because you know I was young. I didn't know what the value of money, what $1 million dollars meant. You know, I didn't realize how little money a million is, right? But anyway, that was my goal, and I sold it for six million. So then, I I get through it. I kind of get de-stressed because the, the business is off my back for a while, and I start to regret the decision, saying man I'm traveling around at ARS and looking at everybody else's company I'm like man I could have done that oh I like that idea man if had I had done that I would have been this much bigger and I started to really get more interested in the space and so I decided I was just going to live out my non-compete and go try it again so I lived out my non-compete and this time I had a little bit of capital and I had a little lot more knowledge because you know when I worked at an ARS I had uh I I learned things that you typically wouldn't get to learn in this type of business, right? I learned how to do an acquisition. I know I learned the math behind that. Uh, I learned how to manage multi-branches. I learned how to, uh, you know, think strategically and, and long term planning. I learned the value of, you know, making an annual plan and sticking to those numbers and really digging into the KPIs, metrics of the business. know, so really the corporate governance that the big companies have, I got to experience there for three years. And I had worked my way up to, I was leading the acquisition charge. And like I said, I was all over this country in the best shops in the nation and I was just soaking in all the information. So then I said, I want to go at it again. Now this is a long way to that's a long way to answer that question. I can keep going if you want though.
0: that's very interesting. I mean, you know, these guys that are listening, um, you know, they're doing they're doing anywhere from 1 3 15 million probably tops. So, uh, and a lot of them want to grow and uh so yeah, I mean, keep going.
1: Okay. So then I you know, I lived out my non-compete, and I found a little company in Las Vegas. And it did $300,000 in sales the year before I bought it. And it was just a guy and his son and a couple trucks, you know. And But the, the the business was maybe 50 years old. You know, the brand was 50 years old. So I bought the business, you know, didn't pay a lot for it him half down he financed half and we went to work and i put a team together and we took all the processes that i had learned you know through my former business and what i had learned at ars and i started to put our business plan together and how we're going to go to market and we like for instance we closed on that business on june 1st of 2000 and we 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 to June first of two thousand, and uh, he did three hundred thousand dollars a year before. Between June first and December thirty first, we did three point nine million with the same customer base and the same guys and the whole thing. We knew how to execute, and in that particular case, here's something that you're that people ought to hear about doing acquisitions. The best part of this deal was he was a he was did a lot of repairs. He was not uh, showing the customers the benefit of a replacement sale. So we had just a very fertile ground, lots of opportunities. Every service call, this guy had maintained for decades these units and did a great job at it. But no one's ever asked him to buy an air conditioner. So we just started to, you know, suggest they they think about it and or. In some cases, we say, look, you should not put any more money in this 27-year-old unit, right? And, uh, you know, the customers were saying, we were always wondering when you were going to ask, right? And they'd say- waiting on it. Yeah, they were waiting on it, and they just would buy, and we just took off like that. And then I started using, again, all these techniques that I'd learned. One from my crash, you know, one from me figuring out how to fix a broken business. I started acquiring every little small business I could in Vegas. And I built a behemoth in Vegas called Yes. Yes, air conditioning plumbing. Hmm. Uh, and I moved, then I moved some locations into Phoenix. So I built that one up. and I had seven locations between Vegas and Phoenix. Um, And we were doing fine and we're doing great. You know, we were by that time we were at the latest over 30 million sales. This goes back to, you know, 2006, five, six, something like that. And 2007 comes along. And if you recall, you know, the the economy is getting a little sketchy, right? And so I go to Comfort Tech. Remember the convention Comfort Tech? So I go to the convention Comfort Tech. And when I get my badge, I get this invitation from ARS that says they're having a cocktail party and I'm invited. So I said, okay, what the heck, you know, maybe I'll see some old friends. So I go to the cocktail party and the business had sold the private equity, so I didn't know anybody there. But I was the only guy that showed up, the only guy who showed up to this cocktail party. So I got a captive audience with these people and we cut a deal to sell yes to them that night wow. shook on everything did the math I had my financials you know gentleman's agreement but you know we eventually sold it a couple months later to ARS so then they gave me an earnout, but they said look we're going to give you these you know these six seven businesses that we have that are broken and we want you to come in and your team to fix them and we'll pay you uh an earn out based on how much you grow your business and these broken ones too so i so i had a whole division that pretty much operates in the same places i do now you know some uh arizona nevada california i didn't have texas but i I have texas today so i went to work on that and we grew those businesses and again, we continued to apply the principles that I learned back when I struggled to run the business uh, that Michael Gerber had had taught us, right? The uh, seven centers to management attention, you know, innovation, quantification, orchestration, all this stuff that he, that, he, that he taught in his book. We continued to apply that, and we took these businesses from um, from about 30 million total in revenue to 80 million in revenue 3 million pro- profit at the bottom to start to 14 million on the bottom finish during the years 2008 9 and 10 which wow. is the great recession right which was the hardest you know hardest most people went out of business during that time and we took my team and I we took these businesses and thrived And and I think because we installed the disciplines, we ran the business by the numbers. We are an essential service, so you know we understand that you know we're going to have a business come rain or shine, right? Regardless of what the economy is going to do, and where everybody contracted, where most of the competitors, you know, pulled their horns in, I just I just pushed the throttle forward on on marketing and we went out and took all the business.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Let's talk a little bit about that because I talk about in 2008, we were up about 46% when everybody else was down. And I bought pins that people. all my techs wore, we don't participate in recessions. And like you, we just thought different. I, I didn't hunker down like everyone else. I increased advertising, I hired, I bought more equipment. You know, we're kind of, you know, with this inflation going on and everything like that, and I guess we're, uh, I guess the HVAC world, we're experiencing somewhat of a slump right now. Um, I don't recognize it, but a lot of people do. What what kind of advice can you give them uh, a little bit about what how you dealt with that? And that's just one of them, I'm sure, but 2007, 2008,
1: 2009. Well, I guess... Number one is you don't have a choice. We we don't have big, you know, uh you know, big funds backing us. And, and uh, you know, most small businesses, we don't have big cash backing us. We don't have big lines of credit that can keep us running for five years, all that nonsense. We have to go out and make it happen, number one. So get it out of your mind. You don't, like you said, we don't participate in recessions because we can't. And, you know, over the course of time, I've, I've been in business a long time. I've, I've been in this, I've been in the air conditioning business for over 50 years. And so I've been through a lot of uh, challenges that that affect the economy. I've been through some wars and, and elections, and, uh, 911s and all this stuff. And just like you said, I thought, well, that's terrible, but. I got to do what I got to do and feed my family. And I just kept marching forward. I didn't let it affect me. And, you know, what you said is the perfect, is the perfect guide for the listeners, which is we don't participate. We just don't participate in those things. Right. So, and that's what we tell our people, you know, um, right now there is a, there is a slowdown in leads and uh certainly consumer confidence is going down a little bit Finance is a little more difficult so we see it um and so it's a good good time to tighten up you know tighten up your loose ends you know everybody was really running pretty fat and happy you know 2020 2021 uh 2022 even but i think we pulled forward a lot of demand like you know everybody's numbers shot up everybody was putting in more equipment prices went up because of inflation you know we just kind of enjoyed a you know a perfect storm of opportunity now but it's kind of normalizing but we keep we keep thinking that what we just went through is was the new reality it wasn't that was a blip you know now we got to go back to work and be serious and make every single customer encounter count every phone call has to be perfect every job has to be on time every customer action has to be pleasant we just have to execute better we can't be fat and happy anymore Um, and and same thing like you said earlier it's going to be the same formula as we talked about in the great recession there's going to be people retracting on their advertising and trying to shrink back and I think that's a bad plan I say lean in on it uh, be more precise and go keep gathering customers.
0: So a, a lot of people think, a lot of companies think uh, when it gets tight like this, that we should just lower our price. What's uh, what's your opinion on that?
1: I just think that's a, you know, death nail number one for them. I just think it's a bad idea. I don't think us as an industry, uh, I, I think that uh, many, many contractors way underprice their services, and, and it's tragic that they work so hard and take so many risks for so little profit. And you know, taking it down a notch from there is just suicide, as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, I think you always got to provide a good value for cus- your customer, and you have to be conscious of, you know, that you're you're spending their money. Uh, but you also have to do it in a way that you can afford to provide the service that you know that they need and want and uh you know what kind of matches core values of your company so do not do not lower your prices you just go and be better go be better
0: exactly and i've talked on this podcast, um, uh, basically about the help you gave me with prices. And I've been doing this 33 years. So you just can't have an ego about what you know in business, because there's always someone out there that knows more, and that can help you. And you've got, I know you've got a lot of mentors and advisors. um, But that was the best advice you get, you know, I I was given uh, in a long time, Uh, your prices are too low. And my mentality was look, I'm in Dayton, Ohio. You're in Las Vegas. Um, I know Dayton, Ohio. Uh, but what happened was I took that challenge, challenge, and I raised my prices. Gradually didn't notice any difference. Then I raised my prices and I didn't notice any difference. And now we're substantially higher than we were. Profits have never been better. And uh I, I just don't I don't know what uh a lot a lot of people were thinking like I was that. If i raise my prices i'll lose sales and it's quite the opposite
1: hey look man when when you when you're uh facing closing your business like i was what you really have to do is really stay on top of the numbers The daily activity has to be where am i at how am i pacing for the month how much money do i need to cover my overhead how much cash do i need to cover my payables, all the stuff, you got to be on top of it. Well, once you install that discipline in yourself and in the business, you know, your cost, you know, what it costs to do business. And it was so clear to me that, um, it was so clear to me that I had to charge more and what I had to charge to make even a fair profit. And, you know, In and certainly in Mark, when I'm in Las Vegas, I got a lot of pushback from my uh, contemporaries, my my competitors, about my pricing. But I'm like, until you sit down and go through the exercise that I had to go through, and you dig into the mathematics of this business and understand it, you get then don't even talk to me about it. I know that I'm doing the right thing, and you until you start doing what I'm doing, you're never going to make any money. And so they fought it, fought it, fought it for years. And I continued to grow and I continued to try and I continued to move into other markets. And, and I got to the place where every market we've ever served, we would have been the highest priced and either number one or two in the market, which is contra to the belief that you need to lower your prices. The, the, we, we could provide the value and the service that they couldn't and customers, that's what they want to buy. You don't want to go, you cannot build a business with transactional customers, meaning that customers that only care about the price. You can't build a future with those people, so you need to go out and find the relational customers who appreciate you for the quality and the service that you provide and is willing to pay for that and to have you at their beck and call when they need you. And that was my philosophy. That's always my philosophy. Interesting story, though, just like yours. Guy comes to me from... He reaches out to me... Uh, and says, hey, I'm in um, Clearwater, Florida. And, you know, I need some help. And I've been in business for 30 years and blah, blah, blah. And You know, tell me the story. And I'm coming out to Las Vegas. Can I meet with you? I said, sure, come on out. So we meet and we start talking. Nice guy, you know, train dealer, telling me all the situation. I'm looking at his pricing. I'm like, here's what I need you to do. I need you to go back to your hotel room, log on to your service Titan and double your replacement sales prices tonight. Double them. I don't know what it will, goes on in Florida because these guys, everybody has the same number. No matter where I go in Florida, they want to sell an air conditioner for 7,500 bucks. I don't know why. I'm like, you just, you're not making enough gross profit dollars per job to, to build anything with. You can't survive with that. And he goes and starts talking about, well, it's the market there. And I said, listen, there is no HVAC market. We're not in pork bellies, right? We're not in copper. We're, right. we're selling a service. The market is made with you and right in front of that customer. That's when the market is made with, with your offering and they accept that offering. That is the market. So I said, rather than saying the word Seventy five hundred, say fifteen thousand, and you're going to have the same damn result, and you're going to make some money in your business, right? So he, you know, he was a little worried, weary. I will listen, just do it for a week. What do you got to lose? Maybe you lose a couple jobs. You can always come back and cheat Charlie him if you want. Right. Week goes by. He goes, I sold every job for fifteen thousand. I go, yeah, just like I told you, right. So he keeps going on with that. I said, "Now let's talk about your equipment." I love train equipment. I've been I've been I've been a train guy most of my whole career, except I don't sell because the prices are you can't make a profit with them. They're t- stealing all the profit from us by their high cost of goods, right? So I had to make a change, and you know. When you really start paying attention to what you're spending and your gross profit contribution per job on your replacement sales, and trying to really drive that up and negotiate with your vendors, build better partnerships, you know, make sure you have incentives like you know year of your growth rebates, year of your growth uh, uh, discounts, or whatever you put that stuff in place. Now you can really start generating some gross profit dollars, and that's what it's all about. So anyway, so he goes at that. He, he goes at that. He starts attacking his his co- cogs, cost of goods sold. And then he calls me up, and says, "I have never made so much money. I can't even believe it." And he says, "He goes and the here's the weird thing. People are calling me, and I'm getting more referrals now that I'm the most expensive. So." then he calls me recently and he and he uh, sends me a big box of cigars and said I just want to tell you uh, I just sold my business for 40 million million and it never could have happened if I didn't have that lunch with you I thank you so much you know and and I was happy to do it to help him but it was all because of that that one thing you know make sure you're priced right
0: you know Ken's journey to transforming his life and business is just incredible uh, I still call him the titan of the HVAC. From owing money to the IRS uh, to doing over $300 million is just unheard of in our industry. But don't miss the opportunity to learn how to take your business to new heights and go even deeper into Ken's incredible story. Join us next week on Thursday as we continue this conversation. Remember to hit that like and subscribe button down there.